Ron and Anian. You guys are dealing with real life and death. The thing is, it's our lives that are involved, too, not just uh, the public that we serve. And there's fire on the mountain, lightning in the air, golden in hills, and it's waiting for me there. The Car Doctor. These cars are very, very dangerous to first responders if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know where to cut with a hearse tool. Some of the most dangerous things now are, are the, the, with electric cars. You don't know that they're on and running. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open, but I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions, as we have done each and every week for the past 27 some odd years, to talk to you about your car problem, 855-560-9900. More information about this radio show, cardoctorshow.com, uh, connections to the uh, podcasting sources. If you're not near a terrestrial radio doing traditional broadcast, you can podcast us uh, vis-a-vis cardoctorshow.com. It'll direct you over to Spreaker, Spreaker.com, and then obviously we're out on iTunes and all the rest of the places where you pick up podcasts from. So if you're new to this broadcast thanks for stopping by we know you've got a lot of choices this radio show is about fixing your car plain and simple just uh, what's going on i'm going to share my 43 plus years of repairing cars in the shop still doing it each and every day and um you know it's we're just a small two-man repair shop now that's still pumping out cars each and every day and uh, i'm going to tell you what's uh, what's going on i can honestly say that yeah and it still happens where I'll meet the uh, I'll meet people in public and the first the, it's always weird the first thing the husbands do is they always shake my hand and then they turn to their wife and go yeah, his hands feel rough. I guess he really does fix cars. Look at that. He's not a limousine. He's not a limousine radio show host like uh, so many have uh, come to be. Which, you know, that's a, that's a conversation for a whole other day. That's but I've I've noticed there's more and more car doctors on radio now. That um, so well, this is the one and only. No phony, not a bunch of baloney. Here we are, and uh, we're here to fix your car. Let's go over and talk to Danny in Maine, 06 Colorado, with some uh, questions about a P double or P one P zero one seven one. Danny, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, thank you, Ron. And uh, again, uh, I heard your comment earlier. And uh, uh, you know, besides uh, 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 Pastor, you're probably the next person that my wife trusts the most. So, well, so thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So, what can I do, what can I do so, for you, Danny? Well, quickly, uh, the code P one zero seven one on a two thousand six Colorado. I changed the mass airflow sensor. I changed the upstream, O two upstream. I checked for the PCV. I changed that little hose underneath the, uh, uh, well, what used to be called. I'm in my sixties. The air cleaner, right? Air breather, I should say. And um, and I checked as much as I could for. Uh, for vacuum leaks, and that didn't work, so I brought it to the repair, and I specifically said, if, you know, I was very polite, if it's too much for you guys, I'll go to the dealer, and they said, no, 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 he says, we've got some high-tech equipment and, and so forth, so they worked on it, and they, they claimed it was a cold air coming in, and uh, supposedly a few vacuum leaks, and uh, $300 later, he said, your, your truck's fine, so five down, I always keep my scanner five miles down the road. 
the call came up again, and so I said, they said, well, those were some problems. Uh, we took care of it, but obviously there are other problems. So that's why I'm calling you. Okay. I'm out of ideas. I've booked online, and I'm out of ideas. All right. So uh, did, did I hear you say that you have a scan tool, Danny? Yeah, well, that's what I do. I keep it with me. What happened is that I kept it with me, and um, I, uh, I'm i always looking for a bargain. So if I see something, a used vehicle, I keep it with me. And it's just right. one of these things. It's like my personal cell phone. So that's why I was fortunate when the code came on. I pulled over, and uh, but I had I had a meeting to go to, so I, I couldn't bring it back to the, to the repair shop. So, right. But I did call them anyway. So, but I do have that scanner. Do do you understand fuel trim? Uh fifty fifty. Okay. And it, and it did say a cold lean bank one, you know, which is a, seemed to be a typical cold. Right. So P zero one seven one is a lean fuel condition bank one on a V six. This is the three point five V six, correct? No, three point five. I mean, three point three point five straight five. Oh, three point five straight six. Okay. Um, but regardless, this is right. This is a, this is a three point five though, correct? That's correct. Okay, so this is this this is a lean fuel condition that it's reporting as a result of fuel trim being off its base fueling. Let's talk about it a minute. When I went to high school, I remember taking algebra, and I remember the day they introduced us to positive and negative integers. And they, the teacher drew that line up on the blackboard with zero in the middle, and then this is positive one, positive two, positive three. That was right about where most of us nodded off. And then they went and, you know, then when they got to this is negative one, negative two, I was snoring by then because I'm saying, what am I going to use this for? Well, 25 years later, GM decided, or car companies decided to come out with fuel trim. And now we use it all the time because that, that, that line of numbers, here's zero. Zero on a fuel trim measurement is a balanced fuel mixture. It's the right amount of air, the right amount of fuel, under the right condition. All cars are programmed with a base fuel number. And it's regardless of what the number is, they all start with, you know, depending upon the size of the engine, the design of the vehicle, its purpose, you know, horsepower load, performance, application, speed, etc., it all starts with a different base fueling number. But it's all represented to us as mechanics in the field as zero. So zero fuel trim means that car is in emission compliance, it's in fuel compliance, it's, it's meeting its specification that the computer says, hey, under this condition, you need to use this much of an air-fuel mixture, and it is. That's a good thing. If it picks up an abnormality... It might add a little more fuel, which would be represented by a positive number on that, on that uh, number line. Or it might be represented as a negative number if it has to close down the injector on time, if it has to shorten the injector on time, take fuel away from the engine. Negative is a takeaway. Positive is a plus. It's adding fuel. All cars have a window. If zero's in the middle and that's balanced air-fuel mixture, the rule of thumb is short-term fuel trim, which is what's happening right now here today, this second, like you and I talking, that's current. Short-term fuel trim is plus or minus 5%, 6 7% on a steady basis. I've seen short-term fuel trim 
Heck, I had a tempo, or not a tempo, what am I saying, tempo, my God, I'm dating myself. I had a Ford Escape yesterday before the carbon cleaning that showed me short-term fuel trim numbers at idle anywhere from 8 to 22%, and then they would come back down again. It wasn't a consistent basis. Long-term fuel trim is 10% or less in my book, but it does depend on the vehicle. The key is, if you take short-term, which is current, long-term, which is history fuel trim, Add the two numbers together, generally 25% is the point at which it'll set a fault code, most cars, general terms. So I always look at fuel trim on a vehicle capable of displaying it because how far over the line am I? Is your Colorado going to show me 26% fuel trim, meaning it's just a little off past the 25, or is it going to show me 49% fuel trim? How big is this leak? And then... Where is the? Uh, well, I can tell you. I can tell you this is that I I um, I did the the MPG to make the and it's it's now doing ten to twelve miles of the gallon. Yeah, well, so, it doesn't that doesn't mean anything to me because I'm I'm out of I'm out of I'm out of emissions compliant. Check engines light on. Check engine lights on. I'm setting a code. All right. Okay. All right. So okay. so where's fuel trim on this truck? Have you looked at it? No, no, I'm I haven't gone that far. Okay. You're going to see two numbers, STFT and LTFT, long-term fuel trim, short-term fuel trim. Where is it? If, if you see short-term fuel trim 25% at idle and it cleans up off idle going down the road at 30 miles an hour, short-term fuel trim drops down into the 4, 5, 6, 7% range and stays there because I'm only worried about short-term at this point because long-term is driven by short-term. And I'm trying to make this simple, believe me. Short term is driven, or I'm sorry, long term is driven by short term. I'm going to look at short term. That's my that's my magic number. If I see a low short term number driving down the road, and a high short term number sitting at idle, I've got a vacuum leak at idle. Okay. If 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 I see a high short term number driving down the road and at idle, I've got a component likely driving that number. What you've already gone through, mass airflow, um, O2 sensor. Uh, not to say that I can't have um, a, a massive air leak somewhere creating it, but you would probably hear the, the rush of the air. So simply by looking at a scan tool, okay, where's the fuel trim out? Is it out at idle? Is it out going down the road? It's out at idle. Off idle, it drops from 25%, and you'll see it. It drops from 25% down to 5%. Guess what? you got a vacuum leak at idle, brother. All right. Um, this is an example where we would just use some propane, sniff around, bring the scan tool up, look at OBD2, watch the O2 sensor. Where's the O2 going? Where's fuel trim going? The O2 drives the O2. The O2 drives the, tr the fuel trim, rather. I'm sorry. I would pay attention to the O2 sensor and, and see where that's at. All right. Because one drives the other. And, you know, kind of take it from there. The other thing I want you to get in the habit of doing, and I want you to do this, Danny, you know, where you look at fuel trim at idle and cruising down the road. If you have any more questions, you call me back. But I want you to promise me something, all right? When you get this truck fixed, I want you to look at fuel trim on some of the cars you drive when they're good, when they're working. One of the things I always tell everybody is, if, if you don't learn to know what known good is, you won't know what broken is. And I'm not asking you to memorize numbers. It's, 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 it's generalities. I don't keep a lot of things in my head well. I don't keep 
too much. I try to keep my head empty as much as possible. It doesn't always work like that. But the point becomes I always try to look at known good. If I've got 15 minutes in the shop, which does happen, I, I force it to happen, I will hook up a scan tool to a car that I'm in. Yeah, I had one of those last week. I didn't, I didn't see known good. What does known good look like until after I fixed it? I want to see what it looks like now, and I'll do that. So, um, so let's do that, okay? Let's go for a ride. Hook up your scan tool. Which way is short-term fuel trim going? High at, high at idle, low at idle, and go from there. Call me back if you need more. But you've got a vacuum leak somewhere. And they just haven't picked it out yet. So, uh, one one other question: Do you suppose? And I, I bought the O2 um, online, um, and many have shared with me could be defective. And so is the Mass Air Force Center. I mean, Te- they're not test, really in, well. Well, test they, test the O2. Okay. Okay. Test test the O2. Um, you know what? Disconnect the O2 sensor. Find the input lead going to the going to the back to the PCM. If you can figure out yeah. which is the signal line, and hold that into that signal line in your one hand, wet your index finger, touch the top of the battery on the positive side. You'll drive the O2 voltage one way. Touch the negative side. You'll drive the O2 voltage the other way. You'll see it on the scan tool. If the circuit responds high-low, we know the circuit's working. Now plug in the O2. Watch and okay. create, a, create a bigger vacuum leak at idle. Do you drive the O2 lean? Yeah. Shut the O2 okay. down. Shut shut the air off coming into the engine. Decreate it rich. Can you can you drive it that way? If you can, then the O2 is working. Easiest test okay, for a mass airflow. Easiest test for a mass airflow is bring up calculated load under OBD2. And from a 20 mile an hour kick, again, learning to know what good looks like, 20 mile an hour kick, put your foot to the floor. You should see calculated load values in the 90, 95 percentile range. If it only comes up to 75, 80 percent on a good vehicle, you've got a problem with that mass air generally. But in this case, you've got to fix the air leak first. You've got to know where the air leak is occurring if it does have a vacuum leak, and then go from there. Do what I told you. Call me back. 855-560-9900. Car doctor's running late. I'll be back right after this. on the wall so you don't forget to call for car advice done right 855-560-9900 now back to ron hey let's get on over and talk to david in connecticut 07 jeep david welcome to the car doctor sir how can i help it's dan oh dan i'm sorry tom wrote david look at that tom made a boo-boo so daniel how can i help you today daniel Ron, it's uh, my daughter's car. It's a 2007 Jeep Compass. Uh, she's not getting the front wipers to work on any of the settings. Okay. Um, the rear wipers work, right. and the mist works. Any any diagnosis made? Any diagnostic attempts here, or we're just going to take it from scratch? No, I was trying to read up on it. I was thinking about maybe replacing you know the motor and the linkage, but uh, I old, was wondering if you give me some direction. Yeah, you know? old school technology, uh, Dan. That's, that, that's the old school approach. This is an 07 Jeep. There's more computer network in this car than the rocket that went to the moon. And that that wiper circuit is probably more advanced than half the circuits on half the airplanes flying today. So it's like this. If you have a compatible scan tool, and here's a case where OBD2 won't work. You need something year, make, model. I, my first step would be plug in, retrieve any codes in the vehicle. This is a case where if there are communication faults, network communication stuff, the wiper switch won't get the information through to the wiper 
module or won't get the information through to the gateway module and turn on the wiper motor. So this could be a communication fault. This could be a component fault. This could be something as simple as disconnecting the two battery cables because the TIPA module or the gateway module is locked up and it needs to be rebooted. Any, okay. any, any sort of scan tool in your in your diagnostic routine or your, your toolbox there? No, no, I don't have one. Okay. So, you know, you could literally, let, let's, let's, let's pretend, right, in, 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 a, in, a, in a world where we've got a scan tool, we could hook up a scan tool, go to the steering control module, which is where we'll find the information for this car, and look under wipers, and you could literally turn the wiper switch, you know, low, medium, high, whatever the positions are, and it will display correspondingly on the scan tool. Well, we know the switch is good. We know the circuit's good. We know the input request for wiper is there. Eliminates that. Switches aren't that common. I'm not saying it's impossible, but they're not that common on these cars. All right? The other thing a scan tool would do in this case is you hear me talk about different modules on cars. You ever think about all the computer modules on all the different cars that are out there today? You know, there's a there's a ton of them, right? I mean, some cars have 80, 90, 110 modules, 110 computers. A, a, a scan tool's got to be able to talk to all those modules. And if one comes back as no communication, it's it's no different than do you ever have a house with, you know, more than one telephone in it back in the day when phone when when houses had phones? And, yeah. and do you ever have a problem where you had a bad phone and it took out the entire network? All of a sudden, none of the phones worked, and the phone company told you to start unplugging phones? And then and then when you did, the network came back up, then the remaining phones started working? We've all been through that, right? That was the, that was the precursor to automotive networking and computers. And, you know, we need a scan tool. We need to be able to talk to the modules on the circuit that we're trying to fix, and then go from there. The, I don't have a scan tool solution, and I hate to do this because you're going to lose information, but I'll tell you because I'm here to try and help you to fix it. Disconnect both battery cables, all right? Jumper the two battery cables together, the battery cables, not the battery, and bleed down the vehicle. Let the system modules bleed down. Reconnect them. See if the wipers start working, and then we can talk from there. Good luck to you, Dan. Let me know what happens. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. We're back right after this. For the best in car advice, give Ron a call, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Rob, Delaware, you're up. 96 Mustang Coupe. What's going on here, babe? Hey, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome, sir. Hey, I have a 96 Cobra. It throws a code every time I start it. Lean Bank 1, Lean Bank 2, P0171, P0174. Gotcha. Okay. What have you, what have you done um, to try and fix pretty it? Much I'm sorry. I was going to say, what have you? What, what sort of diagnostic routine have you done to it? Um, actually, not much. Um, the only thing the car has is long tube headers. Um, it's got uh, cats, 
the whole, the, you know, it's pretty much original. Okay. Has, 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 have the codes been there since you did the header conversion, or it ran normal with the header conversion for a good long time and just recently started throwing the codes? Well, actually, um, I bought the car, and I don't know the previous history of any codes. Okay. So you bought it, and it's and ever since you've had it, it throws the codes? Yes. Okay. How long have you had the car? Uh, about uh, five years now. All right. So you've been dealing with this for five years? Yeah. Wow. But um, the car runs great. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, anybody anybody try to diagnose it? No. No, not okay. at all. All right. Do you have a scan tool, Rob? I do. All right. Um, what, what sort of scan tool do you have? Um, it's... I'm looking at it right now. What's the brand? Syntax. Okay. Um, it'll 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 display data stream. Uh huh. All right. You got a pencil? You got a pencil and paper? Or a good um, or a good memory? <laughs> One of the no, two. No, I'm gonna. Because I'm gonna I'm I gonna don't throw. Have a good memory, so I'm getting the pen and the pencil. So I'm gonna throw a bunch of information at you. All right. Um, because it's it's this 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 should be fairly obvious what's here. All right. Except that back back in the late '90s, Ford did some different things. Fuel trim was fuel trim, but there was a couple other indicators. All right, uh -huh. that we want to look at. So you ready? Okay. Okay. Yep. Start the car up. Hook up your scan tool. I want you to look for. It's going to say Barrow. It's barometric pressure. The Barrow pit. All right. Barometric. Uh -huh. bar, the Barrow pit on this car. Um, should read somewhere between 150 and 159 hertz. Barrow, Barrow is a calculated value determined by the mass airflow sensor. All right. So I, I, I want to see what that I want to see what that is in, in in terms of you know what's what's that reading. All right. So you know typically. You'll see 171, 174 in a barometric pressure pit under 145. You'll see 135, 140, and it's 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 a true lean condition. All right. If you see that, step one, before we go any further, just do a visual inspection. And also, I want you to look at short-term fuel trim. Where is short-term fuel trim? It's going to display on your scan tool usually as STFT, short-term fuel trim. All right. There's also going to be LTFT, which is long-term fuel trim. All right, and the, and the difference is, it's 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 sort of like eating breakfast. What'd you have for breakfast today, uh, Rob? Uh, toast and uh, jelly. Okay, so that was your short-term. Today was today was current, right? Your current breakfast was toast and jelly. What'd you have? What'd you have a week ago? You don't remember, mm. but maybe it was scrambled eggs, right? Yeah. So that's history. That's history. All right? Uh -huh. Long-term fuel trim is history. Short-term fuel trim is current. Short-term is what you're eating today. Long-term is what you ate yesterday or the week a week ago. It's Short-term is a compilation that makes up long-term. Long-term is the how short-term is stacking up, if I can say it like that. Make sense? Yes. So yes, for the for, so for the purposes of diagnosis, I I will generally look more at short term. What's going on now? 
Yeah, you know, because I could see I could see long term of five or ten percent, but it doesn't mean anything to me because you'll you'll start to notice you'll see cars with twenty five percent short term fuel trim and five percent long term, and then you'll see cars with ten percent short term fuel trim and five percent long term, and you go, gee, it doesn't change. Well, it does. It's just that it's it keeps you know long term climbs till it gets to a point, and then it drops back to zero. And that brings short-term to a different place, and then they both start to climb again. It's a repetitive process. It's like climbing a, a game of chutes and ladders, okay? Uh-huh. So where's your short-term fuel trim? If you're setting lean codes both banks, they're, they're going to be excessively high. Normal short-term fuel trim is somewhere between uh, plus zero, plus or minus 8 10% tops. Warm, warm engine, at idle, cruising down the road, that type of thing. I'm betting you're going to see in the 20, 25 percentile range. All right? So if, if you see high short-term fuel trim and a low barometric pressure PID, we're, we've then got to sit there and say, is the short-term off only at idle, or is it off when you're cruising down the road? If, it's, if short-term is excessively high only at idle, we've got a vacuum leak. If short-term is off cruising down the road such that it's excessively high, we've got a component-driven fault, probably a bad or dirty mass airflow sensor. The one thing that's going to skew you in your diagnosis is you've got headers on the car. And we don't know if the person that did the headers, you know, what did they modify? Did they put some sort of software modifier chip in the system somewhere? So you want to poke around for that? You know, I don't believe in 96 we could change software. I don't think the technology was there yet, but that's also a possibility. And we just want to be aware that we're we're looking for, first we're going to look for basic mechanical stuff, and then we're going to look for the stuff outside the realm. What has somebody else done to it that it's, the fact that it still does it five years later, it's still in the car? Capiche? Okay, great. All right. You do that, you call so me back. That'll give me a nice direction to uh, yeah, shoot for. Yeah, we, we, we can start from there. Last, get yourself down to your auto parts store if you want. Pick up a can of mass airflow sensor cleaner. I'm not a fan yeah. of cleaning mass airflow sensors. My theory is if the mass airflow sensor is that far out of calibration and that dirty, you're likely going to end up replacing it anyway. But in the case of a diagnosis, if I clean a mass airflow sensor after I've looked at short-term fuel trim and after I've written down my numbers and I see a change in how the car is responding, then I'm going to think about replacing the mass airflow because cleaning it showed me a difference. All right? Oh, and one last thing. Ford, that generation, runs something called Cam Reset. Keep Alive Memory Reset. To reset cam on that car, if you don't have a scan tool, you're going to have to disconnect the battery for a minimum of 10 minutes to clear out the adaptive fuel strategies. So every time you try something to fix it, you know, if, if, if you think you found a vacuum leak and you go back with uh-huh. your scan tool and, and go, gee, the number hasn't changed, you got to disconnect the battery first. You got to, you know, obviously with the engine off and leave it disconnected for 10 minutes or buy a scan tool with with cam reset. It'll be under special functions. Adaptive fuel trim reset, memory reset. They'll call it a bunch of different things. All right? But you can fix that car. That car's not hard to fix. It's just, it's old now. We've forgotten what that car was about. Yeah. All right, kiddo. 
Uh, thank you very much. You're very welcome. You let us know what happens. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, we're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie, the car doctor. Don in Delaware, you're next up. How can I help you, my friend? How you doing? Yes, sir. Good. What's okay. going on? It seems that my single point three ton floor jack has become obsolete. So I was going to ask you what you think about these cross beam adapters. What is a cross beam adapter? I've probably seen it, but I'm not familiar with the term. Are you are you talking about when you say your three ton floor jack is obsolete for jacking up cars without frames? Is that exactly? What we're... So and this so is you... basically a spreader bar. Minimum 26 inches has a rubber pad on each end. Okay. And you bolt it to your where your single point used to be to spread that weight, that lift weight out. Um, I think it's okay. I know what you're asking about. But, you know, there's ways around that. Will The idea becomes it depends on the car. You know, some cars will have a welded tab on the, on the, on the pinch weld, and that's the lift point. Because, you know, we still, we when we lift cars, let me say it like this, Don. We lift cars in the shop. I'm using the same Mohawk lift I bought 35 years ago. Hasn't changed. It's a, it's the same single point contact pad, except we'll look for it. Where is it going to go? We'll, we'll lift it on the pinch weld sometimes. Sometimes we'll lift it on a special metal tab that's on the pinch weld. Sometimes there's a little diamond, an upside-down triangle saying, hey, lift arm here. So just be, right, I I got all that, but I think what the deal with the uh, spreader is, you can put it up between the tires in the middle of the car and jack up one whole side of the car at one shot. Well, I don't know that I would do that even if I had the ability to do it. Why are we trying to do that? No, well, tire rotation. Well, then you throw the jacks under. No, that's a bad idea. Well, I would, I would lift it one corner at a time, and put a jack stand under it. Why can't I do that? Because I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and 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 tell you that. Yeah, I would trust a hydraulic jack while I was rotating tires. I don't let mechanics do it at the shop. I wouldn't tell you to do it here. No, I wouldn't do it either. You know, so it's it's lifted from a single point, put a jack stand under it, lifted from the next single point. That's number one, safety. Number two, just because I can put a, a, a spread bar on it to lift it over a wider area, then what's that do for the stability of the car? I don't know that some of these cars have the rigidity to do that. Does the manufacturer say you can do that, or you're just going on the assumption because the spreader bar is there to spread the load of the jack out that it's okay? <laughs> I'm not going on any assumption. That's why I called. Right. Yeah, that's that's why I, I would never do it. Um, you know, cars today, some of them, uh, we don't lift a lot of them. We lift a Corvette, and I realize a Corvette's an extreme example, just to give you an idea. I've never lifted a Corvette in my career where I don't pop the doors, and right. I, don't, I don't pop the hood because of body flex. And, right. you know, right now I've got my, my 72 Monte Carlo, which is a full-framed vehicle, on the lift while we're doing suspension work. And I won't leave it up in the air. Uh, and I've got, I'm missing the left front tire. I won't leave it up in the air for long periods of time unless we're working on it. But, you know, you can put a car up in the air and forget about it. You'll put that car down. I've had cars come down, even supported on a lift, where, you know, the chassis will start to sag. You'll see cracks in the A-pillar where the roof line meets, uh, you know, so long-term, it's easier and safer. Jack, use, use your floor jack. You get to keep your floor jack. Go buy yourself a pair of jack stands. Jack it up, jack stand, jack stand. Rotate your tires, move on to the next side. 
It's easier. Oh, I and guess safer. I was getting lazy. Yeah, no, it's either that or buy yourself a lift. Lifts are <laughs> li li hey, lifts are cheap enough. You know what? Lifts are cheap enough, and, and, and your life is worth more in the sheer. If you're a car guy and you've got room in the garage, you know what? Buy Mama uh, something new that she wants. Buy yourself a lift. It's just easier and safer in the long run. Life's too short. Do it right. I, I got you. All, All right, right. Thank you. You're very welcome. You take good care. 855-560-9900. Ron and Amy, the car doctor, coming back right after this. We're back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, winding it down. Frank in Minnesota. What's going on, sir? How can I help? Hi, Ron. Uh, quick one for you. Scan tools, code readers for home shop use. Uh, you're anything under, let's say, $500, maybe in that range and under, uh, that would be good quality. Uh, your recommendations, please. Bang for the buck, brother. It's all about bang for the buck. I, I, I used to, and I probably still do, hanging around the shop, have 17 or 18 different scan tools. I've narrowed it down in the last year because I said, you know, I, I, wasn't, I was good with all of them, but not great, and I want it to be great with all the tools I use because it's, you know, it's like having 18 cars in the fleet. How many can you drive and how many do you get used to operating and how they really work? I've narrowed my field of choice for scan tools right now down to just a few. We use a snap-on Modus as an everyday basis, too expensive out of your price point range. Modus has a lot to offer. It has a lot in the tool, a little pricey, a little tough keeping up with the subscription, but it's there and it works. I give them that. Launch. Launch makes some excellent products. Great price point. I'm sure you'll find something in your price range. I, I would think the Millennium 90 Pro is probably there for the do-it-yourselfer at home. There was also talk of them coming out with a secondary newer tool, uh, Gearhead, Gearbox, something like that. Uh, a year ago, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but, it, you know, if it's like the rest of the launch product, it's well thought out and it does its job. So I've got to think it out to launchtechusa.com. Take a look at what they have. Um, I also tend to want to look on eBay. What are shops getting rid of? Sometimes, you know, if, if, if 500 or 800 or 1,000 bucks, I know it's out of your price point, could get you a used modus or a used... Listen, the OTC Genesis wasn't a bad tool in its day. So there are things out on eBay that, that will work. Just how beat up are they and, you know, how worn out are they? Um, yeah. You've got to think in terms of how new is your fleet. What's the newest car in your fleet, Frank? Uh, 2013 Tahoe. Okay. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, launch would work on that. The older Snap-on stuff would work on that. And OTC Genesis would work on that. Um, you know, it's it's for you, it's going to be about you need OBD2. Because understand, OBD2 is my primary software language, primary scan tool I use for diagnosing. I get a car with a check engine light on. I grabbed the cheap tool by the by the corner. It's my SPX OTC blue and gray. It's probably 18 years old. And that gets me the fault code. It's a trip around the block. It's a look at fuel trim. It's a look at calculated load. What am I chasing? What code? And so on. I don't get out the big gun until I get a better direction after probably the first 45 minutes diagnosis. And sometimes I don't have to. Sometimes I fix it with the cheapie. So master the master the scan tool, master the simple stuff. You go on to the newer stuff. Get out to Amazon, spend thirty bucks. OBD two diagnostics made easy. Steve Cook is the author. Take a look at that. Get that book and read that. I'm Ron Anani, the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive; they're priceless.